Peach Pundit the Podcast is a conversation filled with the personal opinions of the people who are participating. Any view or opinion expressed belongs only to the person who expressed it and not with anyone with whom that person is professionally affiliated. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another episode of Peach Pundit, the podcast. My name is Scott Turner. We are joined tonight by the ever-present, gracious, loving human being that is Buzz Brockway and a very special guest, Buzz and I's very first whip of the house, Ed Lindsay. (laughs) Buzz, how are you first? I'm doing great. How you doing, Scott? Are you celebrating over there uh, the possibility of Nick Saban becoming the new head coach of the Atlanta Falcons? (laughs) Well, that would be, I mean, hey, there are all kind of rumors, so might as well float that one out too. So, right, I noticed why that not? Last, last, or two weeks ago, Alabama fans started a rumor that Kirby, Kirby Smart was leaving UGA to go to Atlanta. Yeah, somebody photoshopped Kirby Smart holding a Falcons helmet next yeah. to Arthur Blank. I do have to around. laugh. I, I was listening today, Randy McMichael, former Georgia Bulldog great, on, he's one of the, the midday hosts on 92 Now the Game. He said, look, the Falcons never draft any Georgia players. So why in the world would they try to steal one of their coaches? So <laughs> Because all they do is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> hey, and we also joined uh, t- today by uh, somebody I've always held in very high esteem, and I know Buzz has as well. We have Edward Lindsay, who is currently a partner at Denton's, was our majority whip. He was my majority whip when the very first big no vote I ever took. He told me I was screwing my political career right there on the floor of the house. And uh, boy, was he right. He was so (laughs) incredibly right. I really was. And I didn't listen to him. And I cast that no vote anyway. And and, uh, the the cast was set from that moment forward. But he's currently also a member of the state election board who has been making some news lately. Lately? For a while. Always. Always. (laughs) So we just want to say thank you for being on the podcast with us tonight. Ed Lindsay, welcome. Well, thank you very much. And uh, let me sort of say that I was wrong all those years ago. You did just fine with that no vote. <laughs> and I will also say this, is that I don't think anybody ever got defeated in the General Assembly by a no vote. Few of us got in trouble with our yes votes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a lot of no votes to run on. So not ashamed of them, really. But listen, we, we are really glad to have you on because it is we have a healthy distrust of the media here at Peach Pundit. And every time we read something, especially from the AJC, we know we got to go check to make sure if any of that is true. And last month, just before Christmas, there was a, a story that came out of the AJC that said the state election board had voted to investigate the Secretary of State and were entertaining all these conspiracy theorists out there about the 2020 stolen election. And I just wanted to go straight to the source and ask you, you're one of these folks who was, who was involved in this story. Can you give us a little bit of background yeah. on what actually happened that day? No, and it, let me start off by saying what didn't happen. There was There is not a, a legitimate suspicion based on what I've seen so far of any kind of impropriety by either our Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, or his election division. I think, you know, in particular... Uh, the uh, the career uh, folks who serve in the election division are, are good people who try to do the right thing. All we were trying to do 
on December 19th is, is acknowledge the fact that there are people out there who do believe that they did something wrong. And, and the fact of the matter is we receive dozens uh, of complaints on a wide variety of issues dealing with election issues. And, uh, you know, we, we adjudicate them as they, each one of them comes up. We've dealt with, we, we dealt with issues dealing with counties and we have clear jurisdiction over that. We clear jurisdiction over 159 county election boards and their supervisors, hundreds of part-time and full-time election workers. And for that matter, 10 million voters, uh, should someone step out of line. And my position was simply this, is that if someone does bring a complaint regarding uh, some activity by the election division of the Secretary of State's office, that we ought to look at it and, and, and reach a decision on it. Quite frankly, uh, nine times out of 10, we'll probably determine that it has no merit because most of these complaints do not have any merit. But we, I think that from a transparency standpoint and from, a, and from the standpoint of, uh, of the citizens of Georgia having confidence in elections, that there ought to be someone out there independent uh, of the Secretary of State's office taking a look at complaints uh, that might involve them and, and saying whether or not it has merit or not. I'll be honest with you right now. Let's just take the 2020 election. We've dealt with dozens of complaints about the, the 2020 election. And while there are uh, some scattering of validity in terms of, of, of individual acts of fraud or individual acts of, of misconduct of some nature, we haven't found any evidence of systemic fraud or systemic uh, misconduct that would have altered the 2020 election in any way. That being said, you know, we, we take each complaint as they come to us. And we try to take a look at it. We, we have our investigators take a look at them and determine whether they have validity or not. All we were saying on December 19th, me and one other member was saying, is that just as we uh, take a look at claim brought against the county, uh, election people, and individual uh, Georgia voters, we ought to also uh, have jurisdiction to uh, adjudicate uh, any possible claim by the, against the state election a division of the Secretary of State's office. I think, personally, that that's something that's, that should be good for the Secretary of State's office because in, in that way, they would be able to point to uh, an independent entity and say, hey, see, see, this has no, no validity, if indeed it doesn't have any validity, and say, see, these folks looked at it and say it has no validity. And this is very much in keeping with the duties that the that the General Assembly has already given to us underneath the existing code section. We are charged. Let me drill down. Yeah. Let me drill down for just a second on the specific complaint. It was uh, Mr. Rossi who had brought the complaint. Yeah. Do you believe that there's any merit to the complaint that he brought that, that, yeah. Well, put you in this position to have to cast this vote? No. Well, well, let me put it this way. We haven't gotten to the point where we can make a substantive decision as to whether or not it has any merit or not. And I made a point of when Mr. Rossi was there that day of turning to him and saying, the fact that I am voting to, to, for us to have the jurisdiction to look at your complaint does not mean I think your complaint has any validity against the Secretary of State. It simply means that we believe that we should have, we should have jurisdiction to, to reach that. 
We have in the past looked at other complaints by Mr. Rossi, and quite frankly, very similar to what this particular complaint is, has. And um, when he brought similar complaints against Fulton County, in that situation, we looked at it, and while we didn't find any evidence of fraud, we did find some clerical errors that took place by Fulton County back in 2020 when they did a review of the votes and said, okay, you've got to you've got to clean up your act in terms of, of how you deal with, with, with the counting of the votes when you go back and you do a survey. Not, not in the actual vote tabulation by the computers, but when they did an, a, a hand review of some of the votes. We said, okay, you got some, made some clerical errors, clean up your act, which Fulton County agreed to do so. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that we found any evidence of systemic fraud or we found any evidence that it would have had any impact on the ultimate election. So with that in mind, we, I think that we ought to be able to sort of look at what the complaint is about Secretary of State's office and reach a conclusion. What that conclusion is, I don't want to on this air say what I think would be that, that outcome because I want to be fair to someone raising a complaint. But that doesn't mean in any way that I have or any member of the election board has prejudged it. Ed, thanks for being on here and for uh, answering our questions. I, oddly enough, happened to be watching the your meeting that day. I, I can't remember how I, I got an email from some group that said, you know, oh, the elections board has got a you know, earth shattering decision that will prove that the election was stolen and stuff. So I said, well, let me see what's going on. So I happened to be watching when you made your motion and as you know, what you described is exactly the takeaway I took from it, that you, there's, there's an open question here about jurisdiction. And I, th I believe you mentioned that the secretary, the attorney general, rather, maybe in the mid 80s, had issued an opinion about this at the time and said, no, this, the state board of elections does not have jurisdiction. Yeah. But then since then, things have changed, right? Uh, House Bill 202, was it 202? Was that the elections bill from a couple years ago? Yeah, and then there, Changed was, the one the, and there was one even more recent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, 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 the Secretary of State's position on the elections board is different now than it was when that ruling was, when that decision was made by the Attorney General years ago. And so it is an open question, and it is something that the legislature should, should weigh in on. Yeah, sort of to give the, your listeners a little bit of background, I think that opinion from the Attorney General was around 2005. And at okay. that time, the state election board was clearly under the authority of the Secretary of State. And the Secretary of State was the chair of the state election board. And so right. the question at that time was, well, can the state election board investigate the Secretary of State, given the fact that he's the chair of the, of, right. of the committee, of the board? <laughs> And, and the state election board is clearly under it. You're quite right. In 2000, the secretary of state was removed as the chair. We now have an independent chair. And I do welcome the new chair who got appointed by the governor last week. So anyway, so he's no longer the chair of it. And then just last year, the General Assembly passed a bill. And it's found at OCGA 21-2-31. I know that a lot of People on this air are the kind of folks who look that up. So I'll give you the exact code section. That made a He knows our audience. Yeah. That, that, that said that the, the state election board is an independent body. And, 
And given the fact that we are now viewed as an independent body and given our inherent responsibilities to investigate any problems with elections, several of us think that this is an issue that if we do not have clear jurisdiction, that we ought to at least go back to the General Assembly and say, you've made us an independent body. Do you want us to have that power or not? Right. And, you know, and, and you know, the, in the end, in, on December 19th, we, we had a deadlock vote, which I actually think was good, believe it or not, uh, because I think then that we made it very clear that the law is ambiguous and General Assembly, please give us guidance. We have time and time again on the state election board had to go back to folks going, you know, we look, this is the limit of our authority. If you if you think that something else should happen with elections, you know, go to the General Assembly and get them to change the law. It's not us trying to duck our responsibilities, but it's also right. it's us being cognizant of, of the limits of our authority. And, you know, right. the three of us here are all conservative Republicans. And I think that's right. I don't think that a that a board, particularly a board that's appointed, ought to be out there running, being renegade and, and trying to exceed their authority. We ought to be looking at the at, at what the General Assembly has given us and the governor has signed off on and say, OK, we do or do not have that authority. I think and several of the members of the board all agree that uh, given the ambiguity, that this is something that we need some clear direction from the General Assembly. And it looks like yeah. we'll get some clear direction. Which way? I don't know yet. But we had a very interesting discussion today by the Speaker of the House, for instance, and at this morning's Georgia Chambers, what's called the exit issue, to basically say, we're taking a look at the State Election Board and in terms of their independence, and, and we're going to reach some additional conclusions. And I thank the Speaker and the other members of the General Assembly for taking this issue serious. So I want to pivot for just a second into the Secretary of State's reaction to the vote, because Jordan Fuchs had a, this Jordan Fuchs is the Deputy Secretary of State yeah. for the state of Georgia. She had a very strong reaction, uh, and she's quoted in several different news stories. I believe I read this first in the AJC. I'm reading it now from rawstory.com. Her quote was as follows. Quote, the election wasn't stolen, and our office is surprised to see particular members of the state election board laying the foundation to discredit the next election. Once again, we don't cater to election deniers, and we will continue to focus on a smooth, secure, and accurate 2024 election. We urge others to do the same. First, particular members, I would guess she's talking about you. Perhaps um, she is, and and <laughs> I'll let Jordan answer to that. But let me let me start off by saying that I have a lot of respect for Jordan. Uh, I have a lot of respect for the other members of that election division who work very hard. I do, however, think that they, and understandably so, they they received a lot of false accusations over the last three years, and and I have a deep amount of respect. But I do think as a result of that, that they sometimes are confusing their enemies versus their friends who may disagree with them on one issue. And I would put myself in that latter category. I'm someone who has enormous amount of respect for the, for the members of, that, of the election division of our Secretary of State's office. I have enormous respect for the Secretary of State. We just happen to disagree on this issue. Now, as to the particular things that she raised, you know, quite frankly... If you scroll down a little bit further on that article, you'll see 
my comment in which yeah. I said, you know, you can accuse me of a lot of things, but being an election denier just doesn't <laughs> fit. And, and I, and I believe that to be accurate, given some of the, the voting uh, votes that I've cast on the election board over the last two years. So I would simply respectfully disagree to my friend Jordan as to what this means. Nobody is looking to cast doubt on the 2020 election, and no one is seriously looking to cast doubt on the 2024 election. What we're simply trying to do is give the voters confidence uh, in the outcome of the election. And even more particular, Dot uh, and Buzz, I want the losers, the folks who voted for who came in second, to have confidence in the outcome, because that is critically important to our election system. You, you have to have the folks who lost have confidence in the outcome. And that's what uh, I see as my duty uh, on the election board. And I know that's the, what the other folks on the election board similarly think. Yeah, that, the, that concept of loser's consent is vitally important to the concept of democracy. Without it, we continue to have these contested elections, which only serves to undermine confidence in the outcomes and whether or not the people who, have, uh, who reach power through an election are there legitimately. So I'm sensitive, I'm sensitive and, and sympathetic with that, that point of view. We talk about the consent of the loser a lot here, actually, because it is, it's something that used to be just an accepted social norm. And it seems like recently, you know, in the last half decade or so, it's it's exceedingly or it's it's becoming more and more rare. You know, you see Stacey Abrams refuse to concede the Democrats playbook is to claim not voter fraud, but voter suppression. And they question the outcome of the election. And this goes back to the election of 2000, right? Bush v. Gore. And. Dick Kephart saying on Sunday morning talk shows, he wasn't sure that George Bush was a legitimate president. Yeah. And, that's, and so yep, sorry, go ahead. It, it's sort of snowballed to where we are today, hasn't it? I mean, that that lack of belief from the losing side that they actually lost fairly. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm a public policy nerd and and I grew up reading the making of the president. The first one that came out was 1985 by, by a, a author by the name of White. And. One of the key things that he writes about in the opening section of the book is how the American system in electing presidents is so much different from so many other societies around the world, where, where at the end of the day, we have a peaceful transfer of power, where the folks who've had all this power in the world, including being the most powerful person in the world, turns over that, all that power to whoever wins the election. And he talked about that being a unique aspect of America that we should be most proud of. And, and he was right. Uh, his full name was Theodore White. He was right. And that's something that we need to hold on to. Yeah. Uh, I've been in a lot of elections, and I've been fortunate to be on the winning side of most of them. But I think the most telling is when someone who's fought hard to get elected, you know, blood, sweat, tears, money, treasure, everything else, stands before their, their supporters and congratulates the winner mm-hmm. and calls upon their supporters to accept the outcome and to wish the winner well. Um, as you mentioned, Scott, that's a, that's a cornerstone of any democratic institution. Yeah. Buzz, anything else? 
Well, I think you, you covered it. I, I was thinking, well, maybe I'll phrase it this way, Ed. What can we do as citizens? What can you folks do on the elections board to try to restore as best we can that that trust, that loser's consent that, that you folks have talked about and and maintain that that very important part of our of our society where people do trust the outcome of the elections? I think a big part of it from my standpoint serving on the state election board is the willingness to look at complaints honestly and take a hard look at them, see if they have any merit. If they don't, say they don't. If if a complaint sort of does have some legitimacy in terms of something that could have been done better, insist that it be done better and show a willingness to open, be open and transparent about our election and yeah. be open and transparent about the folks that work very hard on the election. And we have a lot of people in this state. The state election, rather the, the, the uh, Secretary of State's election division is, is among the people who work very hard to have a legitimate election. But so do 159 counties and their workers, part-time and full-time, and a lot of candidates who, who all want to, you know, for the most part, want to try to do the right thing. We've got to be vigilant in terms of trying to stay ahead of the bad guys. You know, as pointed out by a lot of folks, any kind of election system is is endangered by people wanting to to engage in fraudulent activity. And so we constantly got to stay ahead of the bad guys and make sure that we stay one step ahead of them and that we set up the necessary safeguards so that folks can have confidence in elections. I think most people do have confidence in our electives. There is a very vocal minority on both ends of the political spectrum that that do not. But I think most people do. And it's up to me and the and, and the two of you and everyone else to demand that we stay ahead of, of, of the bad guys. And that's I view that as my calling on the state election board. And I just need more people to do so. And quite frankly, more people to sort of stop and take a breath and go, hey, you know, Let's see legitimacy and not just simply, you know, run after wild claims just because our candidate lost. And I, I do, I must admit, sometimes I do get frustrated because I do feel like we're playing whack the mole with some of these, yeah. with some people who will come before us and go, well, we think the race was fraudulent because of X. And then we do the investigation. No, that wasn't it. Well, let me give you Y. No, that wasn't it. Let me give you Z. Yeah. No, that's not it. And then they go back to A and want to keep going. Yes. <laughs> Very, very mobile goalposts there. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll be praying for you, Ed. Thank you so much for taking yeah. time to visit with us here at Peach Point at the Podcast. We'll, uh, we'll be watching, and thank you for your accessibility and coming to spend some time with us today. Well, thank yeah, you for having me, and I'll be watching to see what my friends at the General Assembly decide I can and cannot do. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> we'll, we'll be watching for that, too. Thank you so much. I know. Thanks, Ed. That was Ed Lindsay, ladies and gentlemen, our first Buzz and I's first majority whip and a good yeah. guy. So cool. I got a funny story. I, I, I meant to bring it up when Ed was on, but it just, it didn't really fit in. But I was one of his deputy whips at, and he would, he would give us, I mean, Ed is a super smart guy. He always had tremendous advice about how to do our job as a deputy whip and how to be a good legislator, et cetera. And I wish I could remember the quote, but it, it, when I was on there was at the time when 
Kevin Spacey's version of House of Cards was just coming on Netflix, and it was a big sensation. And I'm watching it, and he's he's saying the exact same things more than once. It wasn't a lot, but a couple times. Almost word-for-word quotes of stuff that Ed Lindsay would tell us. And it was, oh, my goodness, what have I got myself into here in the legislature? <laughs> I have a lot of those he stories, He was nothing too. like yeah. like Frank Underwood, just no. to be clear, just to clear no, things no. up. But there no. were a couple of quotes. I was like, hey, that... That, that, that definitely fits on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, our friends at Americans for Prosperity are trying to reignite the American dream. Americans for Prosperity believes in freedom and opportunity and that they are the keys to unleashing prosperity for all. They are a community of millions of concerned citizens advocating for solutions based on proven principles to tackle the country's most critical challenges. You can learn more about Americans for Prosperity at americansforprosperity.org. They have a little drop down where you can select Georgia. You click on that and you can get signed up with them today. To you, And they give out great information. Tony West over there at, at the Georgia chapter of Americans for Prosperity is a, a tremendous friend of the podcast. We are grateful for them for being a partner level Patreon. You too can be a Patreon to the podcast by going over to patreon.com slash peach pundit. Or alternatively, you can just click like and leave us a review, positive review only, please of this podcast. We appreciate those folks over there, AFP. Oh yeah. Ed Lindsay's great. I could, I could tell you all kinds of stories about Ed. I won't <laughs> right now cause he's gone and it's best when he's here and gets that reaction, but it is true. My very first really big no vote. I did go to him and say, I'm voting no Ed. And he tried to talk me out of it and uh, told me it would be that good was, for my career. If I that voted was his yes. job as the whip, right? The whip's yeah. job yeah. Yeah. is to get all of his on the Republican side voting. Yes. Yeah, oh, I I was must must have been a terrible disappointment for him. So and he he would go Ed Ed would go you Bobby Franklin. We haven't talked about him much on this podcast. You, did you you served with Bobby Franklin I did not. for a while? I did okay, not. Bobby Bobby Franklin, great guy. He, sadly, he's passed away. He passed away a few years ago. Very principled individual. Would vote no. I'm, I'm Scott. You voted no a lot. You didn't vote no. You you look like no Bobby Franklin. Yeah, compared to Bobby Franklin, Franklin. right? Yeah, but and Ed would always Ed would frequently say, "All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go talk to Bobby. We're gonna get his vote on this one." And he'd go over there and he'd make a run at it, and a couple times it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the legislature is back in session, which means more of those types of stories are unfolding under the Gold Dome as we speak. And have you been down there yet, Buzz? Have you been? I have not. I'm going tomorrow, actually. The state of the state address tomorrow. I'm going to yeah. go. I got some meetings with some folks. So, Yeah. So the very first thing I noticed right away is that there were – there's these red signs everywhere telling people don't leave your stuff unattended. So it is it is <laughs> yes. a – they used to have like these, these shelves, sort of like yeah. a tabletop height where people yeah. would stow like their laptops and their bags and whatever else. Well, that's no longer allowed. You know, the – there's mm-hmm. – as a result of the bomb scares and the swattings and the tensions are very high. The security has seems to have been ratcheted up as a response to some of that stuff, but you're no longer, it, it doesn't have that, you know, I, I just need to set my stuff down here. Nobody's going to mess with it. And, and yeah. nobody ever messed with anybody's stuff, which was kind of right. weird. in the today's society, you know, it's 2024, nobody's stealing somebody's laptop. It's just sitting out. Right. Right. And it's just sitting there. Nobody's yep. messing with it because they know it's not yours and they just leave it. Well, you can't do that anymore. 
the the line to get through security was still running pretty smooth, but things like that, in in light of the the swatting, yes, stuff that happened that we talked about last week, but apparently it was like forty or fifty members of the General Assembly got swatted. Wow, I had uh, no idea. Was that? I mean, we heard a, we talked about the ones we knew about, right? You know, uh, you know, half a dozen or so, including at least one Democrat, right? Uh, but wow, that's that's unreal. Yeah, that's. I mean, I don't I don't have data but somebody told me that and which is i think well, why so many people are on edge right now yeah and there were i can't remember if we mentioned this there there were a series of bomb threats at yeah. state capitals all across at least six or so state capitals maybe right. more georgia of course was one of them so i, I think something's so the, going on to and the pimply it, faced teenage kid who made all those swatting calls <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. You have contributed to the further downslide of American society. Yes. That's the only thing you've done. You haven't done anything other than annoy people to the point where society's a little less enjoyable to be part of. Yeah, right, because it's always right. The people, I mean, the people who have to bear the brunt of this, obviously the the, uh, the at the state capitals, the state troopers who provide security, they've got to you know be on edge more than they right. really have before. But it's also just it it's Further separates the general public from their elected representative. Right. When I mean, when you and I were there, Scott, this, yeah, that's pre-COVID and so forth. You know, there were always groups of citizens there coming to talk. That people could just pop by your office in in the CLOB and and make you know come and see you. And that, that was one of the things I really liked because. You actually got to meet a constituent and talk with them about what was something that was important to them. And that accessibility, when these sorts of things happen, it just, you know, they have to respond. They have to do the things they're doing because the threats are real. Yeah. And there were uh, way more peop- troopers in uniform there. Yeah. And it might be just because it's the beginning, but I, I, I felt like it was connected. And I've been to a oh, bunch I, I of think day it ones. Yes, I, it absolutely uh, is connected. Yeah. Because there were also protests there. It wasn't mm-hmm. just your regular crowd. You had a very pro-Palestinian group show up who mm-hmm. who put put themselves on the steps of the Capitol between where the Senate chamber is and Liberty Plaza. Mm-hmm. And f- there's this giant fence now around the Capitol, which I yeah. hate. Yeah. I hate that stupid fence. I wish it wasn't yeah. necessary. <laughs> I understand why it's necessary. I wish it wasn't there. If I was there, I might introduce a resolution <laughs> authorizing it to be torn down. That being said, Tear it down is this there. Wall. And the the gate had to be closed, so people could not use that staircase, and the protesters couldn't enter Capitol grounds through that entrance. Mm-hmm. And which is also how you get over to Sloppy Floyd Cafeteria, yeah, or t- to where the lobbyists park in the parking deck across the way. Yeah, and it, it was all filled with these protesters, and the gate was closed. Even after the protesters left, the gate was closed. But there were actually folks, pro-Palestinian protesters at the state capitol in Georgia on day one of the legislature. <laughs> what do you well, think? Do you think the average protester there understood that the state legislature in Georgia is not responsible for foreign policy? <laughs> well, uh, I know they've been demanding. I, I, I don't think the Republicans get this very much, but I know they folks have been demanding, folks on the left have been demanding the Democratic legislators express support for ceasefire and all those sorts of things. And there's been a couple who have, and they've been, I've seen, you know, following their social media, there's, they were quick to admit, uh, of course I support a ceasefire, but there's absolutely nothing 
that I as a state representative can do other than to say I support a ceasefire. It will have zero impact on policy. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the Democrats today in Georgia in the legislature tried to make a big deal out of January 6th. Today, as we record this, it's January the 10th. Mm -hmm. January 6th was before the legislature went back in session. It was Saturday. Yeah. We've had, this is day legislative day number three. So you, they had January the 8th, January the 9th. And, but they chose today to rise to take a moment of silence on behalf of the folks who were injured during the January 6th riots in D.C. And not a lot of Republicans joined them in their, their big moment, and they were sort of offended by that. But you know what I hadn't noticed from the Democrats and since January 8th, 9th, or today, was them having any type of reaction to the fact that so many Republican colleagues of theirs got swatted over <laughs> the last few weeks. There was nothing like that, but but they're very offended at the Republicans for not joining with them uh, in a moment of silence for January 6th. Well, it's it's just all, all so political. I, I will say there was one, let me see, Sally, Sally Harris, Senator Sally Harrell, got her sub stack here. Well, she's just talking about the bomb threats. There was a bomb threat. And then unfortunately, then it pivots into, I need your help and, and donate to my campaign. But yeah, no mention of the swatting. Oh, yeah. here we go. Here it is. Several of my colleagues in the Senate have been swatted. So she did, she did condemn it. Good. As she, well, we, as she we lift her up. We, we lift up Sally Harrell, the senator, Democrat senator. She's from the metro area, right? Yeah. DeKalb County, I believe. Yeah, we appreciate um, those sentiments. Maybe we really do. Lisa Gwinnett, but I haven't. That might have changed. And if I'm wrong about other Democrats who've taken a stand against the swatting of their colleagues, who overwhelmingly are Republican victims of this crime, mm -hmm. I I will lift you up too. And if you take yeah. the opportunity from here afterwards, I will praise that as well. Um, like to see more of that. Thank you, Senator Harrell. Yeah. Oh, let me uh, talk to you about our friends at Lisix Media. Lisix Media was born in 2007 to help good conservatives do great things in the world. Now that that mission takes a new step with the creation of conservative dominators. If you're running for office, an elected official, or just someone that needs some help with a campaign, listen up, because this community is for you. Winning against the overfunded and hyperactive left in this state means you need a community of people at your back. And that's what Conservative Dominators is. It's your community. It's your source of support, your secret weapon. And here's the beauty. It's free. You just have to participate. Put that secret weapon right in your pocket right now by visiting cd.lesixmedia.com slash join today. Cd lesixmedia.com slash join. I did it. I went and signed up. And there's folks there who are interacting together and talking about what it takes to win campaigns. I would encourage you to do the same. Thank you to our friends at Lesix Media for being a partner-level Patreon to Peach Pundit, the podcast. Oh, the biggest story of the legislature coming back <laughs> in the session is not anybody who's actually at the Gold Dome, <laughs> it's about Fonnie Willis. Oh, Buzz, my. tell yes. us what's going on with Fonnie Willis. Well, one of the 
defendants, not Trump. One of the defendants, let's see, what's his name? A gentleman. Well, the lawyer. It's uh, one of the, the smaller lawyer, fish. Yeah, we Michael, don't have to name Michael him. Roman. Yeah, who, Michael, Michael Roman. Michael Roman, who nobody knows, small yes. fish, but uh, yes. has a great lawyer, apparently. I was, I was today days old when I knew that a guy named Michael Roman existed. <laughs> but his attorney, this Eric Erickson characterizes her as a well-respected attorney. I mean, look, we, we know a lot of Trump's attorneys, because people don't want to work with him, uh, and can't and he fires so many people. They he winds up with kind of weirdo lawyers like like the lady who you know the, who went on TV the other night and said that uh, Brett Kavanaugh owed him owed Trump and you know he was our dude on the Supreme Court who will fix everything in regard to the Colorado ballot thing. Not helpful to the Trump no, cause there. Not at all. But anyway, Ashley Merchant, uh, the attorney for Michael Roman, is not one of those kind of people, and it they have. You know, obviously, Fannie Willis will get a chance to respond to these allegations, but pretty serious allegations. Essentially, it boils down to uh, that Fannie Willis and the uh, district attorney's office, through her capacity there, hired a guy named Nathan Wade, who is is kind of the lead prosecutor in all of this in the Trump RICO case, including the case against Michael Roman. And they go on to document in a enormous filing that Nathan Wade is allegedly Fonnie Willis's romantic partner. The timing on when you know Nathan Wade and may or may not be married or in the process of getting divorced or maybe is divorced. The relationship with Fonnie Willis, you know, it's kind of fuzzy when that all happened, allegedly, and that they, I mean, well, there's it's not in dispute. He has been paid an enormous sum of money, over half uh, a million to do dollars. all this, and has spent a bunch, some of that money, at least some of that money, allegedly in this, according to Michael Roman and his attorney through his attorneys, on taking Fonnie Willis on romantic trips. So it's, you know, it's just wild, and you know, yet another crazy twist and turn in this bizarre case. And I, I saw. A Demo- an attorney who's not a Republican say, you know, any competent prosecutor could have nailed Trump in I don't know May of 2021 for making lying, false statements. Yeah, yeah, for making false statements, and instead we got all this. So, <laughs> right, I saw so. that same tweet. The so you're so much kinder than me because the way I put it was <laughs> she's been accused of hiring her lover. Yeah. To prosecute this case, another little wrinkle and detail in it is that he has never prosecuted a RICO case, allegedly. Well, yeah, I mean, we knew that, right? Right. So here's the thing, right? We're saying allegedly, just assume everything we say from this point forward has the caveat of allegedly. We don't know for a fact any of this is true. And and my reaction to it is it's so over-the-top crazy and stupid, there's no way a human being would actually make a mistake (laughs) like this. Well, I I guess we're right. And I want to. It gets back to the nature of being a lawyer, right? You cannot, Miss Merchant is not going to risk her career by submitting documents that she knows are false. So they think that these are, this is true, right? right. So they, and they have collected up and there's probably other stuff they heard and other stuff they think might be true that are not in here. Right. Because well, in- they went with what they think they can prove, right? Right. Well, here's the thing is, is, is like, I, I want to dismiss it out of hand. Because it sounds so outrageously stupid. Like, who could possibly be so stupid 
as to hire their lover and then have them use the half a million dollars of taxpayer money to take me on vacations, yeah. I, I would never be that stupid. Right. But I also wouldn't try to prosecute somebody while simultaneously hosting a fundraiser for their political opponent, which is what right. she did. And yeah. she's been slapped around for having a lack of judgment, a monumental lack of judgment. I believe the judge phrased it that well, way when he told her that. There was an article today, Scott, going further here, that uh, Fonnie Willis's spokesperson, turns out she recently married Charlie Bailey, who uh, we all know. The political opponent of, the, of Burt Jones, whom yes. Fon she, Fonnie Willis, held, yes. held a fundraiser for. Yes. Right. But and, you know what's, thus what's prohibited from investigating the lieutenant governor. But what that's but sort of nice like segue spokesperson having you at the, my fingertips at the moment because the reason why I'm not willing to toss this out on its face is not because actually Merchant might damage her career in this. I've seen other attorneys damage their career. See Exhibit A, Sidney Powell, Exhibit B, <laughs> Lynn Wood. Right? I've seen other attorneys throw away their career on this. So I, that's not the reason why. The reason why is there has been no full-throated denial of the accusation. There's not been one single statement publicly made to say none of that is true. So yeah. the only thing that has happened through that spokesperson is a statement saying, we will answer these allegations in the, pro in a, the appropriate court filings, which is a punt. It gives them time to say, well, you see, right. Judge, what had happened was, right, and, and I can imagine that's how the that's how the Filing's going to read. You see, yeah. Your Honor, what had happened was, yeah, no, okay, look, we know there's, there are all kinds of things that are wrong here. Number one thing is you have at least three attorneys on staff today who have experience prosecuting RICO cases in Georgia who are on the roster for the Fulton County DA's office. Mm -hmm. And you didn't give the case to them. Yeah. You went and hired somebody who had no experience, and now it turns out there's all these allegations. If that allegation well, does turn out to be true, that does create a, a, a definite conflict of interest issue yes. here. And, and so will the entire DA's office be disqualified from yeah. prosecuting this case? It becomes an open question. Right. And this judge, or these judges at this point, seem to be calling balls and strikes on this case. Mm -hmm. Yep. When it comes to things like this, they see how big this is. This has got to be by the book. Every right. single decision is going to be analyzed by law schools across this country for generations to come. Yes. They cannot afford to make an error in any way, shape, or form. And even the hint of a conflict of interest is going to call into to question Fonnie Willis's ability to fairly prosecute this case. Yeah. Well, the, uh, right. I mean, they understand, the, the, the judges at least, understand the gravity, as you mentioned, yes. Scott. You've got a, f a former president who is a can the, uh, the leading Republican candidate for president. Hopefully that changes next Monday in Iowa, but that's, that's beside the point. A major political figure um, that, that is looking at jail time if this thing goes against him in this case, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it's just so bizarre and... I, it's interesting that this was not one of Trump's attorneys that brought this. This is Michael Roman's attorney who brought this. They flat out did their homework on this well, on this one. And so. To wrap it up, the, the documents that they're referencing apparently are some divorce proceedings for Mr. Wade. Mm -hmm. 
that are under seal. The the attorney actually merchant has said that she believes them to be under seal in error. Yeah. But but the reason why she had she did not attach them to the filing was because they are sealed documents. Yes. But she has them. So she mm. believes she received them before they were sealed and therefore will be able to present those in court at the appropriate time and place. It, I mean, another angle of this, Scott, is just that this, that Eric Erickson points out, Wade filed for reimbursement and documented a meeting with the White House counsel about this case. So they've I mean, been in contact. That's been one of the complaints, uh, is that they've been in contact with the White House about imagine for this a moment, case. This was a Republican oh, prosecutor and a oh, Democrat presidential candidate. You, you think? I mean, nu- nuclear that, bombs would be exploding every night on MSNBC, right? I mean, the media would be making so much yes. over this if that was the case. If it was talk about colluding with the White House for yeah. prosecution. The other thing too is I saw on Twitter today, and I, I retweeted this on my personal Twitter account, Scott with one T S C O T two three. I retweeted this guy. I don't know who he is, but he apparently is an attorney, and he's questioning the n- number of hours being billed by yes. Mr. Wade. And in one case. In one particular date, he billed 24 hours of time, $6,000 worth. I mean, he's really pouring himself into this case, isn't he? I mean, I mean he really, seriously. I mean, and, and that, working around the clock. Yeah. Yeah. So, funny, funny, funny. Funny, funny, funny. Oh, my word. Funny, funny, funny. Bless your heart. Yeah. This is, if this, if this thing gets tossed, say. Oh, good, man. Good gracious. Oh, I, I don't know that it gets tossed. I do see it. Being assigned to a different prosecutor, you know, where the judge says, "Well, that where that gets you that gets you back to, have they found a? Here we are, another right. month, Scott. Have they found someone to investigate to, to take up the an investigation against Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones? Not to my and knowledge, right? It is January tenth, twenty twenty four. Still, and as happened. of today, it has not happened. They have not found yeah. a, another prosecutor. So which if, only if, means to me so that they, it's not if, a valid case. If your if your scenario plays out and the judge says, "Guess what? You can't bring this prosecution." Who who does it? <laughs> they don't seem to be lining up around the block to right. to carry aspects of this case, do they? Prosecutors no. in Georgia, I mean. No, no, they don't. They don't. That's a problem. It's a real problem. Why don't you tell us about our friends over at ALZ Buzz? Yeah, we have an anonymous. Supporter of Peach Pun at the podcast, we we're very grateful uh, to have this person, and they want you to remember and, and to support the Alzheimer's Association of America. You can find them at alz.org. They do tremendous work and research in trying to help people who suffer from this disease, to support research, to try to find cures and treatments for this disease. It's a horrible disease. And uh, you should go check them out, alz.org. You should support them and support them in their efforts. And when you do, just uh, think about our anonymous friend and how he, he or she wants you to support the Alzheimer's Association. Many people I know, and in fact, I have on uh, my wife's side of the family, a person who suffer, suffered from Alzheimer's before they passed. It's a terrible, terrible disease. And uh, we appreciate our anonymous friend for uh, Calling attention to the Alzheimer's Association of America. Today, I had the time to watch as a former colleague of ours and a friend of mine and yours took to the well of the house to say his farewells. That was uh, State Representative Barry Fleming, 
And moments after he delivered a, a pretty darn good farewell speech. If you are into those types of things and you didn't watch it live, I would recommend you go back because he Barry's a fantastic storyteller and he yes. collects stories. And, you know, he I collect a lot of stories. My stories are different than Barry's, but Barry has some really good, <laughs> good stories, starting from the time that he was an intern in the house. And he told that story today from a time that he was an intern for the chairman of the Judiciary Committee way back in the day when Speaker Murphy was there. And he, he had to go and demand to see Speaker Murphy at the behest of the chairman. And that's a great story. Yeah. Barry then, moments after delivering that speech, his, his resignation became effective and he walked down with his family and a close cadre of friends to be sworn in as a state superior court judge over near his home near Augusta. And so we... We talked about that last week. We won't rehash that here other than to say we wish Barry well. Yes. But the, he's going to be a news, great judge. Yep. Yeah, he's going to be a great judge. The The news today, though, actually broke yesterday. We saw that C.J. Pearson, the former teen phenom YouTube rock star conservative Tea Party champion, the very first time I ever saw him, I think, was right around the rise of the Tea Party in like 2010, right? He would have been something oh, like wow. 10 or 11 years old. Yeah. And he was, he was giving a speech that fired up a crowd of old white people. And, and, uh, but, you know, he's a young African-American kid. Typical and, and, Republican breakfast crowd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he, you know, he, they, the darling of their eyes. And CJ... CJ has decided he's going to put his hat in the ring to run to replace Barry Fleming for State House. And you and I had sort of a ingest exchange about that privately yesterday, if you feel <laughs> willing to share. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've watched CJ. Like one of the first things he did was say, hey, we should lower the age of uh, run, you know, being able to run for office. And... You know, I thought about that. I thought, oh, yeah, it kind of makes sense. And our our mutual friend, Michael Caldwell, was very young, youngest gentleman in the youngest person in the, in the legislature at the time. And I thought, you know, maybe there's some folks out there who do that. That, But then, you know, there are other young folks who are like, ah, the, the politics just eats them up and destroys them. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that that didn't take off. But yeah, CJ has, has kind of, he's an interesting guy. He's very smart, very articulate. Obviously, he's he's built up a following not just in Georgia but around the country among conservative activists. I, I would think that you know he can tap into that and at least raise a decent amount of money in small dollar donations. But he's he's kind of been all over the map as he, as you would expect a young person to be, right? Right. He's, he at one point in time he endorsed Bernie Sanders, and then he's uh, he went from I mean, but not just. And he didn't come from just anywhere to go endorse Barry yes. Bernie Sanders. He came from Team Ted Cruz. Yes, he 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 left from Ted Cruz's team to Bernie when, Sanders. When, yeah, when Ted dropped team. out. Yeah, right. And then now, most recently, he was like the campaign spokesperson for Vernon Jones in his congressional run. Right. Right. So, you know, all in on MAGA at at some point. I don't know the time frame there, but. All in on President Trump and MAGA world and supporting Vernon Jones. So, so here's um, the thing: like, I forgive him the Bernie stuff, and I'll tell yeah. you why. I'll tell you why. He was 13 years old during that yeah. campaign. Right. He was 13. 
Yes. You know, it's and it's it's been 11 years since then. So he's about 24 now. He's 23, 24 years old. And now. It was short lived, right? It and it was short lived. It, it just it was a it was and a symptom so- though of somebody who just didn't know what they believed, who right. wanted to Pro- be a pundit populist, in politics. Maybe populist tendencies that CJ has. Right. Trump's a populist for sure. Bernie's you know, a populist. I mean, a pop, pop, you know, populist with a socialist bent. Trump's right. populist with a nationalist bent. Right. There, there are a lot of, you know, the amazing number of people who were Bernie's, like in Pennsylvania, you can document, in Michigan back in 2016, you can document this. People who voted for Bernie in the primary and when he didn't get the Democratic nomination, they weren't going to vote for the establishment pick in Hillary Clinton and went and voted for Donald Trump. And that helped deliver those states for Trump. So, yeah, he's, he's kind of, you know, it... <clears throat> It'll be interesting. What policy? What philosophy does CJ articulate? I'm guessing it's going to be he's going to run as a MAGA, America First person. Who knows? It could be and, anything. At this point, look. Right. The, I, he, if I were him, I would I would just try to be as as constitutionally conservative as I possibly can. I think that district really enjoys that, mm-hmm. like that area. That's what they got out of their state rep, right. Gary Fleming's for for years and years and years. He's not asking me for advice, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he can, he, it's, this advice may be worth what he's paying for it, which is absolutely nothing. Well, and, but, and look, and, and, and in forgiving his youthful indiscretions, it should also be pointed out at one point in time, the infamous Ali Akbar, former Georgian, and I don't even know where he is now, but he's in deep trouble for, with the law in various places, uh, Ali Akbar, who might be uh, some people on Twitter think now he's he's under the guise of a of a major Trump account called Johnny Maga, but Ali Akbar was C.J. Pearson's maybe spokesperson and representing him, setting up deals, setting up uh, uh, speaking arrangements and and you know financial things that I'm sure Ali got a bunch of money for. So he, <laughs> he's kind of been you know part of his youthful all over the map thing was he got taken advantage of by grifters and they mainly Ali Akbar. So yeah, free advice to CJ, strip away, ignore all those kind of people, go out and tell the voters of your district what you actually stand for, what you believe and see what happens. Our party chairman, Buzz, our friend, Josh McCoon, former senator, more no. ish, more ish has come his way, right? More, more ish has come his way to the point where I felt actually motivated to file a, a complaint with the state party over some things. Oh, all right. Um, Do tell. Yeah. Our second chairman of the Georgia Republican Party, David Cross, yeah. decided that he would take to his personal little Patriots Caucus email list that he's put together. Yeah. To question the motives of every elected Republican in the legislature and say, you know, they're all bought and paid for, essentially, mm-hmm. but because they attend a, an annual fundraiser for Feeding Georgia. It's a nonprofit food bank. They have this thing called the Wild Hog Supper. They, they use it $65 a plate to go to that particular fundraiser. And they use that money to feed the hungry, feed the people who can't feed themselves. Yeah. Now, it's a nonprofit Fundraiser. Atlanta Food Bank, right? Right, for the Atlanta Food Bank. And I guess Feeding Georgia is another larger C3 that handles that type of stuff. 
And so he sends, sends out an email that basically just attacks every elected Republican in the legislature who would even entertain the idea of going to that. Now, that being said, I had never been to a wild hog supper before. I, as a member of the legislature, I never went to one. Really? I, I had never gone. And I, I'm very proud of the fact that I had only gone to the depot, which is where a lot of these types of events are held. I waited until my very last year in the legislature before I started attending events over there because I didn't want – I know that there sometimes is a, it's associated with the type of accusations that David Cross is making, and but it, they're not fair. It, the, those accusations are not fair. Right. And I emailed David Cross back when I got that email, and I asked him, how did you get my email address? Because he, he encourages people to respond to him at that email on the, on the email list saying, you know, if you want to – be part of this Patriots Caucus, email me here and I will, you will be part of the fight to take our government back from these crazy people who think the election was not stolen. And I just didn't appreciate it. So I asked him and he did not respond. Mm -hmm. So I emailed Josh McCoon and I said, please accept this as a formal complaint that somebody has stolen my email address from you guys. Cause I know that's where he got it. Mm -hmm. He got my email address from this his access to the state records and he's using it and his official title in those emails. Yes, he is. To question the integrity of every elected Republican in the state as the second vice chairman of its own party. Yeah. Which is at odds with the mission of the party. And he needs to just go ahead, resign and go do his own thing. Yeah. And so Josh McCoon had to issue a statement, which can be found at, at GA Republicans Twitter feed. Yep. Where he said, you may have received an email from a Georgia Republican Party officer today making unsupported accusation about members of the General Assembly. The email does not reflect the position of the Georgia Republican Party. Blah, 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 blah. Right. How much longer does Josh McCoon have to put up with this ish, Buzz? Well, I, unfortunately, I think it'll be as long as he's chairman of the party because... These guys were elected, David Cross, and I've, I've known David Cross a long time. He was, I don't, I don't know if he still lives in Gwinnett County, but he used to come to our meetings. I saw him uh, frequently. And we, we speculated a couple of weeks ago, was it last week or the week before, Scott, when we were asking, you know, are these, he's, he's building his own, he's trying to build his own grassroots network right. to push for the things that he wants to push for, some right. of which... And he's unethically, he's unethically yes. used his access to party resources yeah. like email lists for yeah. his own purposes. Right. And I'm not accusing him of pro personally profiting from this. I don't think he is. He's probably losing money on this personally. But he's definitely using this platform to try to build something to accomplish well, I, what he wants to accomplish as opposed to what he's supposed to do as a second vice chairman of this party which is support the overall aims and goals of the Georgia Republican Party writ large, not his right. own personal agenda. In fact, at the bottom of that email, there's a list of his, his the, the platform, of, so to speak, of this organization he's building, which includes all sorts of, you know, several things, including get rid of the voting, you know, hand, hand marked ballots that are hand counted. So those are not the positions of the Georgia Republican Party and has forced Josh McCoon. And I, I think we should point out, Scott, 
in that original email, there was a link to a video. I clicked on it and it goes to YouTube and it says this video has been removed for violating YouTube's policies on harassment. So I have no idea it was in that video, but you deemed it to be harassing. So, Well, not that YouTube won't ban something that's not actually something that would ban things for, but either I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole other than to say, <laughs> you know, you said that you won't accuse him of of personally profiting from this. I will just point out, though, that he is advertising on that Nutjobs North Georgia radio show and building his brand and his credibility with a certain segment of the audience for his own personal business, which is, I guess, well, financial yeah, planning. There is, right. There is a link. Yeah, there is a link in there at least emails right. to his his personal business. So I, I won't accuse him of it, but I will certainly question whether or not he's yeah. personally profiting. But I will I will without a doubt say this it's all for his own personal agenda. Yeah. And not for the agenda of that of the Republican Party. You know, a party official does not openly declare war on every member of the General Assembly. Right. And, and we've got we've got a growing list of them, right? I and mean, Brian Pritchard yeah. certainly does. Uh, we talked about Candace Taylor last week, uh, who's gonna recruit you know, gazillion candidates to go topple everybody. And David Cross is out there, you know, building uh, his own. As whatever. I look back in the 90s, you know, I was a big grunge kid. I, I listened to a lot of you know, grunge bands, uh, Nirvana, and Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains. You know, you know, I, I just, these were the, the bands and all these, the lead singers of most of these bands, are, they're not around anymore. You know, they're, they've died. And, and so there's like this Gen X thing of, Pray for Eddie Vedder. <laughs> yeah. Because he's like the last man standing of the <laughs> big Seattle grunge bands. Yeah. He's, you know, pray for Eddie Vedder. So pray, pray for, for Josh, Josh McCoon. Yeah. <laughs> he's like our last man standing. But well, look, I, but look, I mean, the what's 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 so stupid about all of this, Candace, Brian Pritchard, and David Cross, they're wor they're working at cross purposes to what Josh McCoon and the Republican Georgia Republican Party are are supposed to be doing and and trying to do, and that is to get elect get Republicans elected. You want to duke it out in the primary, knock yourself out, and you you get you know you support your candidate and you do whatever you want to do for them. Don't use your party title because that's not that is you as an individual, right? And and then when the fall comes, you uh, when the primaries are over. You line up behind the nominee, and that's what's supposed to happen. And every one of us has had to hold their nose and vote for a, a general election candidate that wasn't their first choice. But you do it because you're on the team. And sometimes your, your faction within the team is going to get their person in the general election, and then you want everybody else, all other like-minded, all other Republicans, to hold their nose and vote for your guy. And so you don't—this— this, this Let's rip each other apart. Let's call each other rhinos. Let's take everybody down. Let's call them all corrupt. Let's go uh, recruit people to run against elected officials. You know, add into this the the county parties that are have set up the uh, tribunals to try to kick local elected officials off the ballot. It's just this is this is a group of people who don't want to be in the majority and don't want to actually win elections. They want to win primaries. They don't want to win elections. And it's just they're going to wake up one day, maybe not in the too distant in the not too distant future, and wonder how the heck 
Democrats took over the state of Georgia. Because that's what's hap- that's the end result of all this kind of foolishness that is going on. And that will be our show. We're going to shout it out to our Patreons. They reach into their pocket voluntarily to make this podcast possible. And without them, we wouldn't have a podcast. So thank you to the folks at Americans for Prosperity and Tony West, Andy Smith, Ari Schaefer, Benjamin Hurst, Bo Brannon, Colin Martin, Shannon Ferguson, James Hall, John Vestal, Mike Buchert, Reed Powell, Ron Daniels, Ryan Graham, Sam Thomas, Stuart Wilkinson, our anonymous contributor, and Robert Lee at Lee6 Media. Thank you so much for being partner level or, or even just a regular $5 Patreon. There are different tiers. You can go to patreon.com slash peachpundit today and sign up. You can listen for free, but you know the cost of that is you got to hit that like and subscribe button. <laughs> That's the only thing yep. this costs you is hitting that like and subscribe button. Tell a friend about us. We appreciate you for listening. Peach Pundit, the podcast is Jason Pye, Buzz Brockway, and me, Scott Turner. It's produced by me, Scott Turner, and all the music that you hear is all original and owned by Jason Pye. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. And we do believe Nick Saban will probably be the coach of the Falcons by the next time we talk.